This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. everybody to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Brooks. I should clear the air here just for a second and say that we are no longer having a co-host on the show. Kara uh, was recently appointed the president of the Canadian Camping and RV Council. Super excited for her and her new career direction and all those kinds of things. And so obviously with that comes additional responsibilities and she had to cut the show out of her daily or weekly schedule, I guess. So maybe we'll bring another co-host. I'm not sure if we will, but for now, I'm going to lead the pack and try to shut up as often as possible. So our wonderful guests can actually give you some insights and useful information, but just to clear the air there, I know our intro still says that, but one day I'll get to redoing it in a couple of months or something like that. Super excited to have our regular campground owner focused episode back here. We've got a couple new recurring guests. One who's an old recurring guest who is just super busy, Sean, super excited to have you here for your first week. And then looking forward to future visits. And then we have Whitney who, from KOA, who is a first time here. Looking forward to having her join us once a month to talk about KOA's monthly research reports and all the just tons of insight and data that KOA has as one of the leaders in our industry. Excited to welcome back Scott Nepp as one of our recurring guests. And then we've got two special guests here, Sean H. from Boyd's Campground, who is going to talk to us about some of the challenges and rewards of operating a campground. He's got a 60-year history up there. And then we've got Kiva from Joaquin Retreats, the Director of Operations. She's going to talk a little bit about some of the things that she does at that property. So why don't we have the two special guests just briefly introduce themselves first. So Kiva, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So yes, my name is Kiva and I'm the Director of Bohemian Retreat. And we are essentially developing campgrounds that feature vintage campers. So bringing that nostalgic vibe to the campgrounds and giving people a different type of experience. Our focus is also uh, really trying to create more inclusive camping spaces. So everything we're do, doing, we're really trying to be intentional in that. And this season, we're really seeing a lot of growth and a lot of BIPOC people coming to the campground. So we're really excited about this year and yeah, just seeing a little bit of change within the RV camping experience. Awesome. I'm excited to, to dive into that with you in a few minutes here. Sean, do you want to tell us about Boyd's campground? Sean H, sorry. Sean H. Good afternoon, everybody. Sean from Boyd's Key West Campground in sunny Key West, Florida. We're a 60-year business, third generation working on a fourth, still family-owned. And we've obviously seen generational campers as well as some of the new campers coming in. Just looking to keep up the camping experience and keep it at a five-star level. And we would love coming to work every day. I would too. Like that. I feel like that's the secret. Like if you're going to own a campground, Key West is not a bad place to do it in. So... Not bad at all. We're glad other people love Key West as well. It keeps us busy. Awesome. Sean, our recurring guest, Sean V. Tell us about Four Points RV Resort briefly. Just want to introduce what Four Points is, what your mission is and your goal. And Sure. Yeah. Four Points RV Resorts, we are a multi-park owner operator. We currently hold four Jellystone properties and two independent properties. And we're looking to get to 10 over the next 18 to 24 months. 
We've been in business in this space since early 2019. And my background prior to that was multifamily real estate, apartment buildings, mobile home parts and things like that. So we transitioned from that space into the RV. It's, it's been a lot more fun, I can tell you, in traditional family, multifamily real estate. Awesome. Glad to have you here. I definitely want to dive into more of the four-point story here. Before I do that and talk to our special guests here, we've got a couple other things that we're going to talk about throughout the show, but is Scott or Whitney, is there anything that's come across your desk recently that you feel is like we must talk about right now before we talk to our special guests and Sean? No, not from my end. I'm excited to get to know our special guests a little bit better and to talk about operations. Awesome. All right, Whitney, same thing. I always have something to talk about. I feel at some point I'd love to talk about the new research that we have, but I'm really interested to hear from our special guest. I definitely want to talk about the research for sure. We're going to, we're going to devote a big chunk of time to that. I promise you. I just want to do that. Like I want to get them out of the way because I'll talk about the research for a long time and our audience might want to hear from everybody else too. So let's start with Kiva from Bohemia Treats. Talked a little bit about your intro and what your kind of your mission is, but how did you guys get started? What is your dive a little bit more into the inc inclusive nature of what you want to accomplish. Yeah. So we, we started in gosh, sorry, last season was last year. So we had a soft launch last year. So this is like our first full season. And I just, I come from a designer renovation background and I fell in love with renovating vintage campers. And just like taking it on these adventures, people started reaching out like, oh, can you drop it off at a campground for me? Can I borrow it? And it really just started getting me thinking there's obviously people who are interested in this experience. And that's just how Bohemia Treats came about. We are, we set up with three campers and this year we have five and we're just expanding that as we go. And there are hopefully just to bring more people to the Catskills. We're located in Livingston Manor, New York. And our target market really is like city dwellers. I, I actually live in Brooklyn. And so just really trying to make it easy for people to get out of their concrete jungles and really enjoy nature that's so close to them. Do you feel like, is that what really either sets it apart today or what your goals to eventually set it apart? Is it the vintage trailers or are there other things that you feel set you apart from the other campgrounds in the area, resorts in the area? Definitely having this retro vibe and all of our campers are from the 60s and 70s really sets us apart. But like I said, also just really, I find that our guests really like the idea that we're focusing on creating more diversity within the space. It's just something like we did a lot of research and talking to people and that's something that especially for people within the cities, they're used to being in diverse settings and just really bring that to the camping space. Awesome. Where do you, where, if you had your goal, and I know this is a open-ended question, I'll put you on the spot. But if you had your goal, where would Bohemia Retreats be in five years? Do you see yourself owning multiple parks? Do you just want to focus on this one of the cat skills? So our goal has always like, when we first started, it was like, oh, we're going to have a campground west of the Hudson and east of the Hudson. So we're really focusing on that right now. And okay. then, yeah, definitely I could see this expanding. I feel like there's other vintage campgrounds in different parts of the country, but I feel like in the Northeast that there's not very many of them. So I definitely think there's space for us to expand. All these ideas interest me, right? And the group can comment on this if they want, but I, and I think this is what, as we head into I don't want to say necessarily a down economy because I think camping overall is just fine, right? But I think that there's value in 
differentiating yourself. We were talking, I think last week on the glamping episode with our regular recurring guests there about how there was a rush into glamping and then there was no problem in 21 and 22 filling up glamping sites. But now it's become a, how is your glamping site different than every other glamping site? And so I think the things like vintage trailers are going to help you tell that story easier from a marketing branding perspective. Mm -hmm. It could be just fine as long as you have one of those stories to tell. Is it incurable with the group here or am I way up base? I couldn't agree with that more. I think that you're absolutely right that it used to be just the concept of glamping was enough of a differentiator, but now everyone's really trying to get into glamping. I love the whole vintage idea. And I think that is like such a cool concept. And to your point, Brian, I think the campgrounds that, that we see be really successful have a clear, have a story to tell. They've got a narrative, they've got a story. And then fortunately, there are brands that exist like the KOA where that's built in. Here's your identity. But I think for smaller independent organizations, it's, it can be harder to tell. Here's your narrative, here's your story. But so I think it's, there's marketing benefits to that. But I also would think that there's operational benefit to that because I know that anytime you're in a quandrum operationally, hitting pause and thinking about what is it that we value? What is our story? What is our origin place? What are our roots? What's our foundation? Having that identity helps you answer those questions. It's, a, it's actually a very interesting point. And Whitney, maybe hopefully you don't mind me putting you on the spot here, but I'm just curious. It's right. I think we all agree that there's value in having a packaged brand like KOA that has a long history behind it. People know what they expect the quality, all this kind of thing. Is there a value though in breaking down? And I know you do it a little bit with the resorts and the holidays and the journeys, but is there value in an identity within an identity? Yeah, it's a definitely an interesting kind of market solution, right? There's the benefits of a brand, but then how do we be unique? And that's what a lot of people want. It's kind of like the McDonald's model. You know what you're going to get. And sometimes that's really valuable. And at other times, like you want something very unique, which Kiva is offer offering it's about is that we actually, because we're like a franchise company and we do have that separation of brands, but we also have a lot of differentiation between the 500 camper campgrounds. We have a belief statement that each of our campgrounds is unique, but collectively we are better together. So we actually try to cultivate some entrepreneurial kind of exploration and what type of accommodations there are. And so from patio sites, there's a lot of innovation. So while we do put out some gray rails, we want some like creativity and flexibility. But to Kiva's point, I would also say that what she's doing is not just providing a vintage trailer. She's providing an experience, that inclusive and intentional experience that she's building at her campground. That's something that there are the people that are looking for those unique experience in the Instagrammable moment, but that's not repeatable if they don't feel a sense of welcome. They're not going to be like, oh, you need, I want to go back to Kiva's resort. And so there's something bigger in the sense of outdoor hospitality as we look at glamping and camping is that it's not just the accommodation, it's that whole experience on the campground that's really going to keep our campers coming back and keep camping, whether it's at KOA or a Bohemian Resort. 100%. Couldn't agree more. And I do love the flexibility of it, right? Because you see, not really in camping, 
but you see a lot of franchises who will just lock down their franchisee. Like my parents have a couple of subways, right? Sorry, subway, if you're listening, which I feel like you're not, but they're just very rigid with, you have to offer a specific sandwich at a specific price and a specific variance and specific vendors. And I love the fact that KOA gives the ability for you to have that flexibility and just that guidance to, to bring in, like you're saying, the entrepreneurial innovation and stuff, right? That's the only way I could ever own a franchise would be to give the guide rails, but give me that little bit of freedom to to innovate. A I'm happy question. to have you, Brian. I'm not blameless on a campground. No way. No way. I can barely handle posting on Facebook or whatever I do all day. Don, yeah. softball question. I'm going to pass it to you. Four points. What is the experience that you're going after that keeping with the same theme that we're talking about? What is, how do you handle that at four points? Sure. So I would agree as well is that it's ultimately about the experience that we see that the customer has while they're there, regardless if they're staying in one of our glamping units or if they're staying in their RV, is that the park itself, we want to create an experience. And our target audience is families with children between the ages of five and 12, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger. But we are really trying to, especially with the Jellystone brand, is we're trying to bring in that experience, whether it's activities, interactions with characters, water features, and things like that. What we've seen over the past three years is, to your point earlier, is that we've seen, as soon as we put a clamping tent in, it was like they were booked and it was like, boom, ready to go and they were rocking and rolling. The park model cabins have been consistent over the last four years. We've seen the demand and the park model cabins be very consistent. I'm talking nights per year where glamping, we've seen an uptick earlier. And then now we're starting to see that kind of level off and come back down compared to what the park models were, because there was, to your point earlier, like glamping experience was different maybe then as to now, you know, what is the different type of glamping units that you offer. But I believe that consistency and the park itself driving an experience. And if you have really unique glamping models on top of that, you'll probably be able to drive rate and demand to those units, but ultimately the park itself collectively should drive an experience, not just the unit itself. So for you at Four Points, I'm curious, is, do you have a brand within a brand? Is there a Four Points brand that, because you said you had four Jelly Stones and two Independents, right? Yep. Is there a Four Points experience that you're trying to deliver across all six properties or is it different at a Jelly Stone versus an Independent? I would say that the Jelly Stone, probably a lot like KOA, they have guidelines that, that they allow people to operate in, but they also allow individual parks to create experiences within the park itself without losing the Jellystone brand. So I think for us, again, it's about delivering experience to where whenever a mom and dad show up and they've taken a two hour road trip pulling an RV or if they're coming further away and camp at a park model, is that regardless of Jellystone brand or if it's just a, a non-Jellystone park that we own, we still want to deliver that same experience. Lots of activities, lots of water features. Every park that we purchase and acquire has extreme value add opportunity. And that may be with adding more park model cabins, more glamping units, water features. We just got finished installing a really large water park at one of our Jellystone parks in Illinois. So we're looking for opportunity to, to add not only to the accommodation side of things, but also to the amenities as well as attractions and activities. So we're not going out and branding four points, the four points brand. We believe it, and we're even open to the KOA model as well in the future, because we believe that. Companies like KOA and Camp Jellystone have done such a good job of branding themselves. There's no need to recreate the wheel whenever you can tie your business to a recognizable brand. That's just how we feel about it. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, I definitely am not going to make an argument against that. I can see that there's potential on both sides. You definitely are correct with what you just said. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and so some of the parts that we bought that we did not bring into the Jellystone system was because these parts were legacy parts that had been there for a while that had such a large following on its own that it didn't make sense to rebrand them, which is the only reason why we haven't done that. We have also taken parts that we bought and brought it into the franchise that we felt needed that brand and needed that recognition. So... I guess it's on a case-by-case basis. That's how we look at it. So now for you, and I just want to touch base real quick. We were talking before the show, right? About how your new acquisition, first of all, congratulations. It's Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, the recent, yeah, we just closed on that last month. Correct. Yep. Just outside of Indianapolis. Certainly, I just saw the article today, so I'm the last. Congratulations anyway. Uh, But for you, as you go out and work to acquire in this, I don't want to say it's a negative climate because I don't think it is but a different climate that we were looking at last year or two years ago before interest rates were raised and the economy had changed and things like that. Does that change your outlook on what you're looking for or what your numbers are that you need to meet or how you're acquiring? It doesn't take an, it doesn't take, we don't take a different approach on the type of asset we're looking for, but it certainly changes the cap rate that would, that was once had two years ago, or maybe three years ago, as far as the price. So with interest rates moving and moving up where that they are, obviously that the prices are going to have to come down somewhat. So we're starting to see that and we're seeing sellers understanding that more that may have been holding on to a price that they thought they could get two years ago. That's not going to happen. So if they're still ready to sell, then right now is really a good time, in my opinion, to be a buyer, to maybe pick up an asset at a price point that you may not have been able to get two years ago. And then. As long as you, as long as you do your due diligence and you underwrite it properly, then you can get a really quality asset at a good price. And then when rates come back down, you can take it and refinance it in cash flow even better. So we are certainly in the mode of, we're very acquisitive. We are looking for opportunities every day. So, you know, some of the other players that may have been more acquisitive two years ago because rates were lower, it gives us an opportunity to look at assets that we may not have been in the in position to compete with. I think for us, certainly it's a good time. And uh, if rates go up a little bit, we're certainly building that into our due diligence. That way we can protect ourselves to make sure that we're not overpaying for parks today. Appreciate you sharing that, sir. Thank you. That's a sentiment that we're hearing from a lot of people, right? It doesn't really change my requirements for what I'm looking for. Right. Does maybe change some other things in, in good right. ways for a lot of people. All right. So we talk about buying, we talk about selling, we talk about franchising, we talk about building experiences. Let's talk about hanging out to a park for 60 years. Gone. I've heard a lot of great points. I think that creating that memorable experience keeps that camper coming back for years to come. Generational campers is what I've had the experience of seeing kids growing up camp. And just to piggyback on some great points. That first and last impression, so important for a camper. What's that feeling when they come in the door and what keeps them thinking about your part after they leave? We, uh, we do our best to offer any sort of assistance to a guest with a few more questions, maybe new to camping. We obviously have the veteran campers who are pretty self-sufficient, but uh, there is that, uh, that clientele that may need a little bit more assistance. And uh, I'm aware we're doing our best to retain that camper while somebody's staying in how is that person treated? How are they, how did, how does that, how does staying at their park make them feel? We have a full service concierge desk that makes sure that all their campers questions outside of the park, how to make the most of their Key West camping experience. That attributes to that five-star 
constraints. And like I said, I rely on a lot of great team members. Our staff treats, treats our campers like family, and they do a great job in making sure that while they're here, they're treated with respect and treated the way that they want would want to be treated. And it goes a long way. There's a lot of campgrounds that people can stop at on their way down to Key West. We're a destination. You don't get any through traffic. And we do our best. And sometimes expectations are a little high. We do our best to meet those. Creating that memorable experience like everybody's described, I think, is super important for retaining the customer. So I'm very interested to explore this with you briefly. So the, you talk about the expectations in Key West. I've been to Key West twice. And I think that when the first time that I went there was before I had traveled to a lot of different places. I think it was actually years and years ago. We went to the corporate KOA down there because Mike West sent us there to do a video. I think it was my first time to Key West. But when I first went down to Key West, I think my expectation was like, oh, this is going to be a tropical pair, which it is, but also tons of beaches, which it's not. Sure. Well, what are some of the expectations that you kind of battle with? The perception, I think, is everybody thinks Key West is, just like we talked about before the show, that Key West is a perfect place to own a campground and nothing could ever go wrong in such a paradise, right? But what's the reality? No, absolutely. We deal with our own set of obstacles being down here and we call it paradise. But yes, the Florida Keys is actually not known for its white, sandy, natural beaches. A lot of them are man-made. We have a little beach area that we maintain on the property. But uh, the uh, the beachfront camping and waterfront camping is where we've made that distinguishing fact. We're right here on the waterfront. A lot of it is natural shoreline. A lot of it is riprap seawall. But being close close to the water, close to excursions and things to do that get you out to some of the most beautiful sandbars in in the Keys just called shore. So we have companies that we work with, pick up customers right from the boat, offer a half day, offer a full excursion, whether or not you want to fish or eco tour, paddle boarding, wildlife viewing. We do our best to create that full experience with our full service on CFS. But uh, yeah, that beachfront coin for the Florida Keys doesn't really fit. And we correct people quite often. Florida Keys are not known for their beaches. A lot of beach restoration, beach nourishment that goes on. But it's still beautiful. It's still paradise. And there's a lot to see and do outside of just the island of Key West on some of those natural mangrove islands. What about a cheeseburger? Am I guaranteed a cheeseburger with Jimmy Buffett? Cheeseburger in paradise. I heard he went on his farewell tour. So I don't know. Yeah, that's that one. Bucket list items. The man's really going to have a farewell tour. He's got RV resorts. Not he is opening, but he's got his margarita go brand everywhere. So I don't know if Jimmy Buffett's ever going to retire, but I want the rooster. Where's the, isn't it Ernest Hemingway who was down there? And the, that's right. That ties them with a rooster that they run around Key West. So, right. Very well known for our roosters. We deal with them here at the campground, little natural alarm clocks. And us to remind everybody they were here before us. So we're just coexisting. All right. Let me move on here. Cause I want to talk about, I want to talk about KOA's monthly research report here. And I think this is a good maybe segue here. You were talking about the fact at your Key West campground at Boyd's that a big part of your guest experience is that concierge offering, right? It's the being available to your guests to say, where do I go get a cheeseburger? Where do I see a rooster? Where do I go to maybe not a beach, but see the ocean? And that's certainly valuable to curate that experience. But we've just had a, a research report come out and Whitney's going to dive into some of the details here with us that have said that the way people are planning those trips might be changing. Whitney, do you want to share some of that with us? Yeah, definitely. Kayway's monthly June research report just came out last week. And so probably the biggest headline is around campers' use of AI. 
and specifically using AI to understand and learn about campgrounds in the planning portion of their travel behavior. And it came out that 32% of campers are already utilizing AI versus 7% of non-campers, which is, I was telling this to you earlier, but we didn't believe it three months ago when we, when our monthly, because we were looking at that kind of research three months ago and we were like, maybe we just hit the perfect amount of people. We ran it again last month and we're like, oh my gosh, it came back. And I was like, let's do it just one more time just to make sure. And three months in a row, we got the same results back. It's just this huge amount of campers that are already utilizing artificial intelligence in their planning process. And that they're the biggest one they're using, which made sense is chat GPT. That's the one we hear about all the time in the media. But it's just really surprising to see that and that campers have trust in it. What I would say is from month to month, we did see campers trust a little bit from month to month. But I think there's just as the media changes their perception of AI, that sways people's perception of what is happening. And in this last month, we saw some bad news around AI, like companies like losing a lot of copyright information and things like that. So I think that there's a it's really positive for AI, artificial intelligence in general and how we as a campground industry should and could be using it. However, there's also the swing of just like how consumers feel about it. Do you have a sense of what they're at? Like when you say planning a trip, that's obviously can be very broad, right? And maybe you don't know the answer to this question. And if not, just go on a hypothetical. But when we talk about planning a trip, that's researching maybe the campground or the campgrounds in the area, that's researching what to do. That's a broad swath of things. Do you have a sense of what they're doing early on with it? Yeah. So the most specific, we actually said, what tasks are you using for AI for? And the top task by campers is actually seeking reviews from other travelers. So they're actually utilizing artificial intelligence to, to understand what other travelers are saying about certain places, certain campgrounds, certain camping activities. And then the second one was research, just researching campgrounds and things to do. The third highest one was actually building the itinerary itself. 48% of users said that they were actually using AI to build their itinerary. Interesting. So I'm just trying to, like, I know, obviously I've played with a lot more things than most people have, I feel like, but it's very interesting early on. That's so high. Does this, like any of our other guests here, let me toss this out. Does any of this surprise you? It very much surprises me. I'm surprised what I found even more surprising. And I don't know if we touched on this stat yet, but that the research from the KOA reports, campers having a higher degree of confidence in AI than non-campers. That was a big surprise to me. I do have a question about, about, as I understand AI, and Brian, you probably have a good grasp of the limitations, or maybe I'm misunderstanding them, but I thought that ChatGPT was stuck somewhere in September 2021 or something like that. Sure, but go ahead, Whitney. I want to hear what KOA is. Yeah, so, so the question then extends to if you're getting reviews and if you're gathering information, most reviews are going to be more relevant to the most recent reviews I think you can put your money on as a better bet than further out reviews. I'm, how, I'm just curious how they're compiling information about 
information that might be outdated if it is behind that 2021 firewall. It's a really good conversation. I think users don't have a lot of background in how AI is actually working. They hear about chat and GPT and they're like, oh, this is the newest thing. They're not, they don't understand that it could actually have out-of-date information and they could get better information. So I think that also has to play into that, like trust. As more people are understanding more about how these platforms work, I think it's really interesting that we've seen a decline in trust, even though we see an increase in use. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting from my perspective. And I still want to hear Sean, old Sean, Tiva's take on it, if you have a take on this or if you played with things. But I think to your specific question, Scott, it can access the internet now, number one. And so if you pay for a $20 a month plus subscription to ChatGPT, you have the ability to browse the internet with Bing now. And then you also have access to a, an app store with 500 apps. And some of those apps are able to browse Google in real time and do all kinds of other cool things, right? But I think this is a, forgetting about that for a second, I think what Wendy said, and sometimes I don't even, I forget this, right? Because I'm so deep into, I know everything about AI. What do you mean? Everybody doesn't know that too? For some of the stuff, right? But I think that's interesting. So if you're on ChatGPT and you ask it, like, can you give me a review of Boyd's Key West Campground or just pick or Bohemian Retreats or just picking something out, Four Boyd's Resorts, right? It's very possible that the user does not realize, one, that A, these might be old, but B, more likely, ChatGPT is actually just making them up. So how does that actually, that's actually very dangerous territory for some businesses, depending on what it says. I'd agree with that point. We use it, we use it internally for, if we need to create a job description for something, then we would use ChatGPT to go ahead and we'd spell out what we're looking for. No, I don't do it. Our HR department does it. Yeah, they'll say, okay, if we want to hire this person for this, and this is what our expectations are, it'll build it out. Then we go back and we review the job description that it puts together and make some changes like that. It really cuts down on the time, but it's not like we just tell it to do something. And then that's him not reviewing. We certainly are renewing what it's putting out now whether campers are doing the same thing. Are they going back and checking? Okay, let me just verify this. Let me go take a look at some Google use. Let me go take a look at some Facebook. No, they're for sure. Out, but so you are correct. The information is only as good as what it's spitting out. So, you know, I would agree that it, there probably is a little bit of danger there. People take it for face value. I don't know if there's really a way to control that though, right? Because like I can go in and we've done this today, right? When we've researched campgrounds or something that we're doing marketing for, we'll go to the plugin area, we'll use something like WebPilot and we know that we can say, go get me the last five nickel reviews for this campground and then summarize the good and bad points about it or whatever. And it will do that in real time and it will be accurate, but it, without plugins on, without the browsing on, it's not. I don't know if there's actually a way for a campground to control this. Like, how do you battle that perception? If I think, I, I think that it could also be at some point, once people decide how they're going to view using AI for reviews, it's no different than somebody saying, okay, let me go look at Facebook. And if you have a four star and you've got 10 good reviews and three bad reviews, ultimately I would hope that campers will still make their own, they'll still formulate their own opinion based on their experience. Hopefully they're not just listening to this as. This is, it means everything. Hopefully that they're still using some sense and still. Well, they are. And again, I don't think, I don't think that chat GPT is really going to make up something bad about a campground. In most cases, 
I think it's either going to say I can't pull real-time reviews or I can't access the internet. That's my experience with it. Okay. But if it is spitting out a review that, that looks like something, I feel like the danger there is just misinformation is saying maybe somebody loved the playground and the swimming pool and they don't have a playground or have a swimming pool. I think that's more the danger. Yeah. That makes sense. I think to your point, Brian, there, there is a, a little bit of danger there. And there's like, what if it pulls something that the campground was closed in 2021 for some reason and, it, or even recently, and it could inadvertently pull that information. We just don't know how like it's all the information about all the campgrounds. And, but what I would say positively or negatively, I don't think we're at the, like the infancy of this technology. So there's a lot of catch up that's probably going to happen to make sure that there's a little bit more factual information. Businesses will come in a little bit more and more into like how to utilize the technology and utilize it appropriately. So I think right now we're seeing the wild west of AI. People are just all over the place. And I think we'll see some leveling and it, it only can get better from here, I think. For sure. And we've already seen that, right? Like I've, at least from our, from my perspective, and we'll get into the weeds here, right? But with GPT-4, the new model that came out in March, like I, I don't see it making up 98% of what comes out of that thing is fact now from what we can tell. Like obviously it still needs checked, but when we do that, we're not finding as many problems as we did in the early days. But I think the bigger problem is, it's not really a problem, but it's just that the time period is when does this, when does the camper or whoever's using it adjust to the new this is how things are. This is how I use it. This is how I don't use it. Because I think we've all been trained for 2040. Same thing as Google, who's replacing the, who's going to have AI search now. They announced that a couple of weeks ago to Bing, who's going to have AI search and, and Bing is real time and Google will be real time. But we're very used to the last 24 years of dumbing down everything we type in Google to two keywords to try to, and now you don't do that. Now you, the demo that Google gave on stage was, I want to go to Zion National Park or I can't remember. What's the name of the other national park in Utah? Right down there by Zion. Can't remember, but they asked the question and they said, which one is better for me if I have two kids, a dog? And that was the whole question instead of just national parks near Utah, right? And then you go click around and feed. And so it actually gave an answer and said, these trails are dog friendly. Well, this park doesn't have dog friendly trails. And this one is better for kids because the hiking trails are easier to navigate. And so this is the park you should go to. And I think that behavior is going to take some time to change in the consumer. When it does, we better be ready with the industry. I think that's interesting. And I think that from one perspective, it makes a lot of sense that AI would be popular in this space, particularly with, with the form of hospitality that we do. This is also a lot of people's hobby. This is their passion. People love to camp. And Sean touched on it earlier. There's a wide variety of the camper we see. We have the people that learned from their dad years ago and that and they continue with a generational thing. And then you get people that are brand new to camping. And I see it being really valuable in terms of I'm trying to figure camping out. What do I need to pack? Where do I start? How do I renovate a camper? How do I do these things? I see it being real practical there. And it wouldn't surprise me if people are using this as an education to their hobby and to their passion. But it is interesting that we're identifying all these gaps and these potential dangers of using it to compare a specific campground with maybe another campground, depending on what version they're on or what they have. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hitting the nail on the head, right? I think that's exactly what we're talking about. 
as it relates to the statistics from the KOA monthly research report that show that more people who camp are using it than more non-campers. And I think that's probably a big contributor to that is the fact that there's a whole lot more involved with drawing camping than there is staying at a hotel. There's the puke. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. And think about it like that, how the question was about Zion, like two, two kids, a dog. Think about an RV. I've got a 35 foot travel trailer. I've got two slide outs and I'm hauling a car, you know, so even like how campers have to think about getting a site, it almost lends itself to AI more than it would to like trying to some get it summarized enough for a regular Google search. I 100% agree. What are your thoughts, Sean or Eva or the other Sean? Or you guys want to weigh in on this at all? No, again, I think that you guys are hitting on some very good topics. And I think time will just tell how this all plays out. But certainly the industry and life in general is certainly getting more technically and get technologically advanced. So we got to be prepared for it. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's just, yeah. I was just going to point out, Brian, I don't think we're the only industry dealing with this. This generation, so much information, the tip of their finger, who's filtering, who's making sure it's the right right decision for a particular guest. And I still don't think that the, the southernmost hospitality that we branded and we embody goes away. If customers oh, really? just doubt about us through a chat, through AI and things like that, still have to retain that customer. So I'm obviously excited, a little frightened about a certain AI aspects in our society, but for camping, I see our equation, the way we have been doing things. We want to adjust with the times and utilize a new technology, but pretty comfortable in what we're doing right now too. No, and I think you're very right. That's a whole interesting discussion too, right? Because I think you're very correct. I think they're... And I've had people come to me and say, why do you want to put AI everywhere? And why do you want to force technology on people? And from my perspective, right? And we do customer service with the bots that we've created and their concierge too, right? But the whole goal with that, in my mind, is getting people that can be experienced better or faster, right? Sure. So get them to answer their questions quicker. Get them their planning of the trip better, whether it's through our bot or through ChatGPT or through whatever it is, right? So they can get outside and disconnect quicker. There you go. That's the way I hope it works in an ideal world. And I think it will always continue to be that way. I don't think it's ever going to replace the guest experience, the personal people that you like, there's just, that's what people love the outdoors for. How do you use it to enhance that customer experience? Sure. So I think those things just need to be thought of. How do you don't look at it as a, this is a negative because it's more technology, but how can technology help me getting them to less technology? And I think that's really where at least I want to see the industry go, I hope. But what else was in your research report, Whitney? There was other things besides AI, right? Yeah, I think what, that some of the surprising things and actually combining some of the statistics to make that story is like, we're seeing a lot Memorial Day. We saw another 2 million more camper households out this Memorial Day than last. But what was surprising in that is that 8 million of those camping households, which is about a third, also did some other type of travel during their camping Memorial Day weekend or week. So that, and what we're really seeing is like 
we have to look at the tra- the camper as not a ca- just a camper. A camper is a traveler because what we're seeing is they have this really high propensity to want to try or go to other types of hospitality types like hotels and road trips. And, and so knowing that from a campground industry, we really have to focus on our first topic being that experience is that people, our travelers are no longer just saying, this is my camping weekend. They're more looking for, I want this type of experience. How do I do that? I want to go to Key West. What are my options? Instead of saying, I'm going camping and I'm going to Key West. And I think that what we're seeing is a lot more variation, even within the same time frame of a vacation, is that people are trying more things. And I think that there's a little bit coming off of COVID as I camped a lot. And so now I'm wanting to do a few more other things. And we really have to protect that as campground owners to say, I'm we're going to try to make sure that we're selling the experience more than just we're offering camping. If I can add on to that, that's awesome data. And if you can direct me to where that component of, of is, because one of the things that Ivy Management Group works with owners to, to try to help them through is it's not unusual for an owner to have a conversation with the local governing agency be it the local planning board or economic development council or chamber, because there's people tie in RV parks and mobile home parks into the same, into the same brand. Right. And so owners are always having to have that conversation of we're a camping resort. We're a hospitality organization and guests are coming, they're visiting our park. Yes, but they are putting money into the local community. And I think that's a big, that data point would be a big help to campground owners and managers to help justify that they're really local jurisdiction is doing themselves a favor by recognizing the true economic dollar that those campers are bringing to local areas. I I have that piece of data. It's in the North American Camping and Outdoor Hospitality Report that was released And But I can send you to it. It's really important to your point that campers are putting $52 billion into our local communities. And that's not just into camping. That's into our local communities. And how they're, I'm coming camping, but I'm going to restaurants. Also, Mm -hmm. what doing, we can actually show that they're going to restaurants. We can actually, we've actually looked at like their daily spend. Yeah, I can definitely send that to you, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, this is for sure interesting to me too. And from the flip side too. So we've talked about how maybe we've got campers who are doing multiple things during their trip. And we've talked about the, maybe I hadn't considered it before, but the, maybe we don't want to consider it, but the fact that there maybe a few, one or two of them is burned out from camping over and they want to take a little bit of a break. But what about the flip side? Because even though we had a ton of people come into this industry over 21, 22, who are getting outside, who are buying RVs for the first time, who are exploring the lifestyle. There's still a disproportionately large number of people who have never done that. Mm-hmm. So are there opportunities for us, especially in that glamping sector, and whether that's glamping in a tent or a yurt or a dome or a cabin at a campground, right? Are there more opportunities there for us, do you think, to continue reframing that? Yes, I'm a hotel person, but maybe this is something that I would consider too. I would say yes. 
I think people are looking for those memorable experiences outside of that hotel experience. And whether or not it's your cabin or your, or your glamping tent, we're, we're seeing that more and more people are renting RVs, working with a company, delivering the RV to the site, setting it up for the guests. We implemented a few tiny homes. We have some waterfront, some houseboats in the works that we, we feel like offer a unique experience that people just weren't getting in your typical hotel check-in, check-out. You never meet your neighbor and you keep the door shut. And I think there's definitely opportunities still there. But how do we reach these people is my question. And, and the answer to that is twofold from my standpoint, right? And I think we, like when I'm hired to run a Facebook ad campaign for a campground, the default is we're going to go target the audience who is already interested in us. So we're going to look for a demographic that likes camping or RVing or things like that, right? But that by definition excludes those people who may have never tried the industry before. And we've tried Google ad campaigns and dipped our toes in the water with Rural location isn't getting as many bookings as they were last year. So maybe we can target that hotel audience for a landing page that tells the story of why glamping is better than hotels. And that's worked to a certain extent. But is there a way that we can envision bringing more of this industry on a broader scale, awareness of not necessarily RVing because RVing is important, but RVing requires a big investment if you're not going to go rent one. So how do we expose that outdoor lifestyle to more people and bring them into this industry? ways that we maybe don't default to traditionally. Like for Jonestown, what I can tell you is that Jonestown has gotten away from marketing themselves as a campground. They've started marketing themselves as an, as an experience with accommodation, or you can bring your RV if you have one. So I think it really goes back to what experience are you delivering on site, regardless of someone who's never been there and is running a cabin. Are they going to, what experience are they going to get? And I think it's important that whenever you're targeting the customer base that you're looking for here to sell, not only the accommodation, but more of what is the overall experience that they can expect whenever they're on property. So how do we get them there though? Right? Like, how do we get them to that experience? How do we tell the story of without having millions of dollars to put out commercials during the Super Bowl and things like that, right? How do yeah, we, how do we you know, show new owners that you can bring these audience in, but it's a awareness standpoint. That's a long-term game. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you like for us, Brian, it's been successful as far as our marketing. We've seen our occupancy actually grow year after year, even prior to, from prior to COVID, even through COVID. And now we're still seeing increase year over year in occupancy per site night. And we're seeing ancillary revenue per site night growth. So we are seeing growth across the portfolio. I am not a marketing expert, so I can't speak to that. Maybe I can have Matt Vandermolen come on one time in my place and you guys can certainly talk about that a little bit more. But what I can tell you is that we certainly use social media a lot for, for a way to do our marketing. It's a very affordable way to do it and to reach a lot of people. But I think it's all about content. We do certainly do, we, we do a lot of direct emails to existing customers and whatnot to still capture returning business, but we're also going outside of, let's say, a 60 mile radius or a hundred mile radius. And we're trying to capture an audience that's further away and we're selling them on. Okay. We're, we are a, an affordable family vacation destination. We're not competing with Disney world, sea world, six flags or things like that. We are competing with a much lower, more affordable. Somebody can stay with us for three or four days in a glamping unit or for a week or whatever it is for what did you call things to stay at another destination for half the time. So I think it's, I think it's selling an affordable experience to people. I guess it really just depends. 
my target customer may be totally different than what John has down in, in, in Key West. I think it's really just about understanding the customer base that you're going for and just learning how to appeal to them. Sorry, I was going to say, Kila is probably the best example because she's she's got a glamping resort catering to New York. It's a market that hasn't been known for camping. I'd love to approach her how she's doing it. Yeah, I'm definitely the new one in the group here, but I, for what I've started, is very Instagrammable. So I've really like focused on that. And this season, just trying to get influencers out, that's really helped. Getting them to share, come and enjoy and really show their experience to other people, especially that are in the city that love to travel, that we're right here. We're just two hours from Manhattan. So it's like the easy commute. Something that we've also been, a lot of our customer base, they don't have cars. They rely on public transportation. And as we've been getting press or whatever, just really trying to share that there's easy ways to access our campground from the city. And people have really loved that idea that they can take a bus and just a quick Uber to our campsite. So there's ways to get into nature and just really letting people know that we're close by, that it's easy to do, and that just most of our campers are new campers. So just really trying to make the experience seem effortlessly, effortless for them to come and explore and that they're going to be safe. We always have, especially like city folks are their bears, just really sharing the story of being outdoors and just how easy it is. But social media has been key for, especially just like a new business trying to get the word out. I've got some ideas I can loft out there too. And I love the social media component. I think that's, that tells the story beautifully. One thing the Ivy group is doing is that we're bringing a full-time revenue manager on board. And, and one of the roles that revenue managers going to be looking at is what channels are we selling our campsites on? So I think that's one way is because people are used to going to Airbnb, booking.com, Expedia.com. And as our property management systems become better and more sophisticated, we're able to be side by side now with hotel rooms, right? On Expedia or on booking. And that's a brilliant and beautiful thing to get people exposure to. The other way that hotels typically handle this is really working within that local community so that you have that revenue manager reaching out to local businesses to say, hey, have you ever thought about having your employees stay here instead of the courtyard down the street or checking with the local convention and visitors bureau? Hey, we've got a big rec space. If you guys are throwing a convention for 50 people, we're a perfect option for you because we got a bunch of camp spots. There's a lot of things. Another thing that we're really encouraging our park managers to do is have a greater presence in the local tourism market. So joining the Economic Development Council so that they can hear about the events that are being hosted in that city in the following year. So they can submit bids to be considered for those conferences and conventions. Getting really plugged in on all those channels is a good way to get that exposure out as well. All right, I feel like I could have this question for another hour, but everybody probably has things to do and I'm sure there's something I need to be doing somewhere, maybe. But I, I will wrap this up and say, this is one of the things that really excites me about the future, right? As, and Whitney, I know you'll be back with us to share more of the amazing research that the KOA is going to do. But this is one of the things that really excites me about the industry going forward is that we have this untapped, un, almost, I don't want to say unlimited, but a very big potential to say, we've got our campers, we've got the new people who came over 21 and 22, but we also have this 
largely untapped and unmarketed to demographic who were doing little by little protein retreats in other places, right? But who basically give us a market that not everybody's going to like camping, not everybody's going to go glamping, but a significant number of them would, as Whitney said, not necessarily become a glamper or become a camper, but mix it into some of the other activities they're doing. And if that's one extra night here, one extra night there, those things are going to add up and they're going to be great for our industry in the future. So do we have any final thoughts from everybody? No? Everybody's going to be quiet now? All Keep right. on camp. Wh Whitney, what's in next month's research report? Will you give us a hint? Is this uh, the research tells us. We put a ton of questions out there. Whatever is seems significant, we try to bring to the industry. It's a surprise to me, just like it's a surprise to you. But it's going to be significant. That was a good teaser to come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It will be significant. <laughs> yes. That's what we're looking for. All right. Well, thank you, guys. We have three minutes left. We just want to call it early. Nobody else has anything to say? All right. Well, thank you, Sean, from Boyd's Campground. I appreciate you. Best of luck to you another 60 years. Keep making the right decisions, hopefully. Appreciate you guys. It sounds like you're doing it. Keep up. Best of luck at Bohemian Retreats. We'd love to have you back on the show sometime. Check in and see how things are going as you continue to build on the east and west of that trip. <laughs> Sean, four points is hopefully to have him back as well. Super excited to see four points continue growth and Scott Nett from Ivy. And obviously, Whitney, we appreciate you being here. So we'll see you guys. Next week, another episode of Fireside Chats. Take care, guys. Pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks, yeah. Brian. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.